Product Management. Hello, everyone. This is another episode of the Real World Product Management. Uh, I apologize for a delay last week. As you know, there were some events in around New York City that uh, kind of sort of distracted me from uh, recording the episode, but we're back to our regular schedule. And I'd like to introduce Alberto Saldana, um, uh, one of the BAs uh, slash product managers at EPAM, the same company I work for. So, Alberto, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Alberto Saldana. I'm from Mexico, and um, I have uh, quite good experience as a business analyst, almost 14 years. And one of my most um, exciting experiences as a product manager was on few projects that actually fail. So uh, thank you, Vlad, for inviting me and to, sh- to be able to share experience with uh, all your audience. I think we're going to have a very good time talking, very good information to share. I have uh, heard some of your previous podcasts and they, they look awesome. So uh, thank you very much again for inviting me. And I hope your audience also enjoying this talk. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, uh, by the way, since you've mentioned uh, some of your previous projects or engagements uh, failing, do you mind telling me a bit more about uh, what is it that you did? And uh, obviously, what was so challenging and what's what triggered the failure in, in those engagements? <laughs> well, that, that was a very cool story. Um, it was it was 2008. Do you remember uh, there was a recession all around the world, and unfortunately, I got fired from my from my from my uh, from my job, right? And uh, during that time, it, it happened about two months without job, right? Uh, it's like an employee. Uh, I offered myself as a freelance BA. Okay, and uh, someone called me and say, "Hey, you know, we require a freelance BA for a six months project. Uh, this is not a permanent job. This is just uh, just six months, and that's it. We will not have a contract. We will not have any relationship, job relationship. So we just need you to do the work, and that's it." I say, "Okay, I don't have anything else, anything else, or more funny to do." So I accepted it. Uh, the project was about creating an app. And this is uh, very related to what we are living nowadays because uh, there was three main, three main instances. There was an uh, editorial company who actually, they do books. They write books and they do illustrations for books. So they were full of UX designers and intellectuals and people who actually knows very good grammar and, and, and write books, right? That's actually their primary activity. <laughs> Uh, in a daily basis. The other instance was a BI company. Uh, They were more into data, right? They extract data from databases. They collect this data and analyze it, clean it up, and so on. So everything related to business intelligence. And we had the stakeholders, right? The stakeholders, what they wanted to do about this app was to combine the experience from the editorial company with the BI in order to create an app for schools. So this app was intended to extract data from the app and analyze how is the student's behavior based on race, based on economics, based on where they live, where they come from, 
what is the family structure if the parents were married, if they were not married, if they were divorced, if they if the students live with the grandparents, and so on, right? So all this data was supposed to be analyzed by the um, analytics team and then provide some statistics, some dashboards, and information that could help the school to per, to improve their programs, right? So based on the uh, assumption that not all the students learn the same way or um, should be teached the same way. So this was a very good approach to improve um, students uh, in the K-12 uh, grade, right? Which is actually preschool to middle school, I suppose. Um, so it was a very interesting project. So they hired me as a BA, right, to connect all the dots, to be involved with the editorial company, the stakeholders, the uh, analytics team, and create a product, okay? So after some years, I realized that I was doing kind of a product manager role because uh, my job was to analyze all the insights and try to connect them and create a product that uh, satisfy. The, the stakeholders, right? So one of the challenges I faced was like, <laughs> there was um, different perspectives of what was the strategy and the vision of the product. While the stakeholders wanted uh, an, an application that actually provides dashboards and information for schools, in the other part, we had the editorial who was more interesting on create a very good product, very easy friendly, uh, who provides a lot of features for the school, for teachers, for uh, directors, for for principals, for for the par for the parents of the students, and for the students itself, right? To update uh, task and homework, right? Uh, so this is very interesting because it was around eleven years ago. Right, so 11 years ago, we didn't have that necessity that we have right now. While the students are at home and they use uh, conference applications to um, to do their classes and so on, so it was challenging because did, we didn't have any information about how the school how the schools plan their programs and how the students actually attended to classes and so on. Anyway, we we were able to collect different information about this, uh, how this application was supposed to be, right? I mean, the vision, I mean, what was intended to be. However, the strategy was not uh, quite the correct one because we were focusing more on the analytics, on the dashboards and so on, which was not very interesting for schools. And why is that? Because the schools, they have their programs, they have their legacy plans, right? Like you have to attend the school, you have to sit in a chair and you have to listen to your teacher, right? And they were not uh, very willing to use tablets or laptops in order to be able to input data and this data will be analyzed later, right? Because they say, how you are going to teach me how to do my work, right? If you are not a teacher, if you are not, if you don't have any experience on teaching students from four years old to 12 years old. So that's why one of the key points that the, <laughs> that the product failed because the strategy was not good plan. We should focus more on the product that was very exciting for the schools. And at the same time, it provides data that can be analyzed later on. So the first thing I did was to extract features, to collect the information from the stakeholders, from the school and from the tutorial company and create and 
design a product, right? I create the mockups, I create the features and the product backlog and so on. The problem was that we first developed the dashboards and the BI analytics and how to extract data and so on. So when we first went to the demo to show, okay, so this is all the capabilities that the, that the application will have, the school say, I'm not interested, right? This is not what I need. So this is one of the biggest learnings I had because you need to understand what is the market needs. What are the customer needs and what is intended at the end of the day? So that was, it was very, very interesting and challenging. And I learned a lot, a lot from, from that experience. And I try always to focus on the needs, which is the, the, the primary thing we need to focus when we are developing a product. And I want your audience to also understand that uh, not because they think they have a strategy, that strategy will work. Because sometimes the strategy is not aligned with the market needs or the business goals. So that's the first thing I, I, I want people to focus on. That's why it's uh, very interesting to talk about these points. And thank you again for bringing up this question. Sure, sure. My pleasure. And it's really, really cool to hear the, you know, a good story about a failed product. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't hear a lot of those um, around me hear more about, oh, hey, this is, you know, this is how much success we had with this and this is how much success we had with that. But uh, the real the real thing is is the failures. Uh, I, I keep repeating this. Uh, I, I, I quote someone, I can't remember who that was, uh, that scientists love failed experiments because uh, they don't even call them failed experiments. They call them experiments rich in data because they provide a lot more uh, information about uh, what went wrong and how to make it right than the experiments that went right from, from the start. So thank you. That's, this was really educating. And um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is one of the few examples that I've heard of where the vision and the strategy gone wrong. Uh, in, in, again, in a lot of failed uh, cases, you hear about things like, oh, hey, we had a good idea, but it was executed wrong. And um, it's, uh, it's kind of a, a cliche uh, reason for failed products. Like, we had a good idea, but it, it didn't work. Uh, but uh, I, I actually had a similar, a similar experience where the vision was wrong. And, and, and uh, we stopped at the prototype stage. Uh, we stopped developing product at the uh, prototype stage. So this is, this is really cool. And uh, I like how you, uh, how you talked about the transition from uh, a freelance BA to a full-blown uh, product manager. Um, when we were prepping... For this uh, for this episode, you mentioned something about BA BA role being disrupted, and I wanted to sort of piggyback on on your story uh, about transitioning from BA to PM. We we have a lot of people doing this, and in our company, we have a lot of people doing this in other places. Uh, but you mentioned something around BA roles being disrupted, and uh, I'd like you to uh, sort of unpack it, talk more about what specifically is being disrupted, and how from your years of experience how do you see this happening uh yeah and this is this is a good question that is coming up nowadays uh more often uh whether there is uh understanding that the ba should become a specialist or should become generalist 
there are there are BAs, certain BAs, or different roles. It can be engineers, or it can be project managers itself who can be more experts on what they do, right? So they certify on the CBAP, right? On um, certified business analysis, or they can be PMIs, or they can they can certify in uh, Java Core Eight and so on, right? And that is totally fine. It is nothing wrong with becoming a specialist on something. However. The trending uh, in the market is that uh, the projects require more like a generalist type of role. Uh, and what does that mean? That means that uh, you cannot just enclose in a bubble like, okay, so this is my role and I will not do anything else. Because that way you are not bringing value to the business. So you sh- people should be, it's not like a should, but people uh, could be more open to perform different tasks uh, using different skills. But what happens when you, you have to perform different tasks and you don't have the skills? That is a 100% failure, right? That is one of the alerts we need to take into account. Say that, and based on the experience we have um, in, in, in our projects and the companies I have worked on, you always need to improve skills. And one of the skills that the BA is more feedable to learn its product management role. Why? Because they share different skills, right? Like communication, engagement, uh, understanding on the business, understanding on the technology, how the development works, what is the end-to-end life life cycle of a product. So there, there are certain skills that are shared between product managers and business analysts. So that's why a lot of business analysts are more uh, interesting in learning about product management. And that is a very good, uh, very good approach because that way they are adding value to their careers, to their resumes, and they're adding value to the, to the business and to the development uh, team. So um, from my perspective, the people who, who is uh, learning the product management role should be aware that um, it's not an easy an easy job because I, I have heard a lot of technical people saying, oh, you know, product manager is very easy. It's just giving orders and do documentation and talk to people. So that's very easy. Anyone can, can do that. And yeah, everyone can do that. But uh, can anyone can do it well? Can anyone can do it in the proper way? Can anyone can do it adding value to the business or to the project? That is the main question. So that's why um, understanding the need of learning and having, of course, of course, there is a, a learning curve, right? So you will not born being a product manager just just because just because like that, right? You have to get trainings, get more experience. Of course, ha- have your own failures and learn from them. It's important in order to become a great product manager. Interesting uh, that you're saying you need um, you need training, you need experience. Uh, what I noticed, and um, it's both, it's, it's with a lot of um, online resources. I see a lot of people who want to become product managers without experience. And I, I understand that we need, as a general industry, needs more product managers than uh, we can we we can have so there's gonna be some you know some there's gotta be a way for someone to become a product manager uh, without a prior experience otherwise it becomes a chicken and egg problem right but at the same time 
I have a very strong opinion that any person who is trying to become a good product manager and, and good being the keyword here, not just a product manager, just, you know, doing things, but product manager that gets things done should come into the field with having some experience of getting things done before. It could be a project manager, it could be a developer, it could be a BA, but like, for example, I, I came to being a product manager after a career in IT. So I was a developer, I was a project manager, and I had two businesses before I became a product manager. So not only I had exposure to getting things done, I also had exposure at running the business, which is what product manager essentially is doing on the high level. Not, not everybody is exposed to all the, all the aspects of it. But there's definitely more than just, you know, um, talking to stakeholders and convincing them your product is great. It's also taking the product to the market and, and selling it. And that's, that's kind of what is, what is being overlooked. And uh, I think, again, this is something we talked about before uh, when we were prepping. There's uh, the classic agile model that uh, companies are operating on, uh, trying to operate on, sorry, is, does not have a role of a BA. So, in a way, the role was made obsolete uh, some, at some point in time when the whole Agile model was introduced. Yet, almost every company I've seen, almost every project I've seen, almost every engagement I've seen has Agile teams and has BA as a part of the team. So, how do you see that? What's your take on that? Uh, yeah, you bring up a very good point on making the BA role obsolete. And... I see that as a true not uh, that not all the people understand uh, when they are becoming specialists on the BA role, because and nowadays business analysts are required to perform also scrum master roles, sometimes project manager roles, and testing roles, and it is not purely like it's getting obsolete, but it's being. Uh, the role is being uh, evolving. I call it like that. So the role is being evolving. It's it's like if you have a Java developer who is uh, very experienced in Java two, or Java three, or Java four. It's 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 not like they're becoming obsolete, but now the trending is to learn Java eight, right? So they need to learn it. Uh, for example, the UX designers. So. If they are still working on HTML5, and now the trending is using Angular, and they don't learn Angular, they're, they're getting obsolete, right? So it, they need to evolve their role. So they need to learn new skills, learn new technologies, and be able to perform the work as the business requires. So the same happens for the business analysts, right? So they, they, they need to learn product management skills, scrum master skills, of course, kind of uh, decision-making uh, skills, uh, more likely as a project manager, how to plan a project, understand the full life cycle of the product. And that's one of the uh, takeaways for people who thinks that uh, the business analyst role is the same like 10 years ago. It is not. It has evolved and people need to understand that in order to be more productive, in order to be um more effective on the daily job basis because uh, at the end of the day, uh, as much as you add, uh, as much value you add 
to the business, then as much capable and much knowledgeable and uh, more efficient you become. So again, just as a summary, the business analyst role is not getting obsolete. It just it's it just being evolving, and people needs to evolve too. Interesting, and, and I agree with you in in the way that uh, the roles are evolving, including BA role. Same way, <clears throat> same way, the product manager role is evolving. I've, I keep seeing uh, responsibilities of a product manager where none have existed before, or I've seen product management being uh, divided into separate areas. And just the same way product managers becoming either specialists or generalists, I like to think of myself as a more of a generalist because I have experience in multiple industries and I, I understand that I lack uh, you know, depth and precision in specific areas, but I can bring uh, you know, things across industry, the experience and, and understanding of things across the industries. And it's not just me, it's everyone um, in, in, this, in the current world, same way the BAs are doing this, same way others are doing this. So you, you become a subject matter experts in how to cross the industries rather than in a specific industry. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so let me kind of transition to next question. Um, we talked about BAs, we talked about uh, product managers, and uh, this is one of the cliche questions I, I tend to ask. So how do you define uh, the role of a product manager? You know, we have in, in different taxonomies, we have uh, product manager, we have product owners, we have proxy product owners, we have BAs. Uh, sometimes companies build hierarchy around that. Sometimes they just throw everybody in the same soup. So what, from your experience, from, from you know, all the roles that you played on projects, where do you see those roles? How do you see those roles aligning? For, okay, so first of all, we need to understand the structure of the project. There are different structures on every project, and there's not, there not just uh, the right or wrong structure. It's just uh, how the structure fits more into the nature of the project. So I see the product manager discovering what the user and what the market needs and also helps on prioritizing and um, helping to build the product. And of course, one of the deliverables or one of the documentation that the product management does is the product roadmap, right? This document can also be done by business analysts or project managers. However, the nature of the document or the deliverable uh, should be made by the product manager who is involved with the business, stakeholders, marketing, economics, and so on. Uh, and also, the product managers, I visualize it as uh, the, the, main, the main role who gets the things done. It can be also combined with the product owner, but the product owner is more like a product backlog uh, owner. Right, he is more interesting in features and what is being developed next, what is coming the next iteration, what is going to be the demo or the sprint review, uh, approved whatever was developed, and so on. So, product owner can also be seen as a SME, as a subject matter expert, who is more in touch with the business, with the processes, with the day-to-day -day, uh, business activities, and not always 
sometimes they, they, they do, but not always. It's, it's not a, like a must be uh, technical knowledgeable, right? So sometimes, and I have seen a lot of product owners who they don't have a clue about technical implementations, about uh, development lifecycle, uh, about how the agile team works. Right. So they were just, okay, so you are the expert on this domain, on these processes on the business, you will be the product owner. So you need to uh, be the owner of the product backlog and make sure that whatever was uh, intended to be built is actually implemented uh, at the end of the sprint of the iteration. Um, you mentioned also pro, uh, proxy product owner, and it's, it's kind of similar as a product owner. However, this guy is technical. Uh, he knows some more technical stuff. He is more involved with the technical team. He can provide their suggestions, uh, their approaches. Sometimes they come from a technical background as a developer, so they can also provide some uh, solution design approach and that kind of uh, uh, stuff that uh, product owners sometimes, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying like a general thing or like a must be, uh, the product owner cannot provide some technical details about implementation rather than, um, than the proxy product owner. And then the business analyst come into play to connect all these dots. That, that's kind of a strategic role from my point of view because he's not having a direct report as well as a product manager, uh, but, the, but the business analyst uh, has more like um, uh, responsibility to make people uh, communicate each other without being communicating itself, right? So they go to the business and product owner or product manager, collect data, uh, start developing specifications, uh, understand the features, provide sometimes insights about what is the better approach to uh, implement a certain feature, and then going to the technical team to explain how it's supposed to be implemented. In my experience, during the, the grooming sessions and when, when we review the specs, uh, the technical team asks, okay, but why we need this feature? And sometimes the business analysts, they're not uh, aware of why they need because they didn't ask why the business need this feature. They say, okay, so we need this dropdown and show this data and click a button. And they don't understand what is the business value. So that's why the business analyst is a connector. It's uh, how the transition, transition goes from business needs into technical implementation. And that's one of the skills that sometimes uh, product managers or product owners, they don't have that skill. So now talking about the structure again, I visualize the, pro the pro product manager as a driver on the business needs, create the business goals and understand and apply the strategy. I see the product owner just next to the product manager owning those features, owning that strategy and making sure it is implemented. And one line below them, it's the business analyst who interacts with all the stakeholders, talking about business stakeholders, technical stakeholders, management stakeholders, in order to create a common understanding on what needs to be done. Um, that's kind of the structure that has been working more for me. Of course, there are different structures and different projects, but um, that's, on my experience, how 
uh, more successful project looks structure looks like. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you for the insight. Interesting that you've mentioned that uh, it's a BA's job to be this, you know, this bridge between the business and the technology team. Because in the classic agile, that's exactly the job description of the product owner. And um, I'm not, I'm not arguing. I'm just um, no, uh, kind of pointing out that in the classic agile form, BA role doesn't exist, and that's what PO is supposed to be doing. So your product owner is uh, basically a BA with um, some additional responsibilities. In in in. And I understand this is this is a practical example, but this is kind of this is why I like to see different different perspectives. Um, there there are different points of views and and different experiences. So you can't say, "Oh, my point of view is right," or I can say, "My point of view is right." We'll have kind of we all have proof that you know our our ways of working are are working. They're functional. So in in um, in your example in your structure. I imagine I would imagine it'd be very hard pressed to explain why would I need a product owner in that scheme of things. I understand what the product manager does. He owns a vision strategy and high level, uh, high level functionality of the product capabilities and uh, features. I understand why I would need a lower level, lower level ownership, uh, whether it's a PO or a BA who would own a feature. Uh, epic features, stories, uh, level uh, functionality, and would interface with the business on the tactical on resolving tactical things. Uh, but there's, there's, in, in my view, there's no third person. We don't need a third person there in the hierarchy. Is a high level feature or high level capabilities ownership and low level capabilities ownership, and that's it. There is no middle level there. But I understand uh, that you're coming from a practical perspective, so. It, what I'm saying is not necessarily true, again, which is why I like having different people with different experience uh, on the show. Uh, it provides you different things. So let me just unpack what you said a little bit. Uh, question, question that I have in my mind, and again, I'm, I'm assuming this, this is what you've tried, this is what worked for you. How does product owner work with product manager in, in that in that uh, structure, so what what are the how do they divide divide the ownership between themselves? Yeah, let me tell you a true story, and this will provide more. Uh, it will be more visible to understand the structure I, I just mentioned. Oh, absolutely, please uh, do. And uh, I'm not going to 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 say the customer name, uh, not to pointing fingers, <laughs> but. Um, uh, this is this is what what happens in, in with that customer. So we're building a large set of products at the same time. Okay, one is for purchasing, one is for uh, creating more uh, engagement with the customer. Another one is to create analytics that provides uh, better information for the people, for the customers and customers who are uh, navigating in their application in their website. There is another product to enhance the actual uh, look and feel of the uh, of the website. It's a 
completely rebranding. And there is another um, another product just for uh, normal processes, right? Like uh, this is uh, online shopping. So there are some uh, new enhancements on the product related to returns and refunds, uh, order, order management, um, shipping, and, and so on, right? So we have a large number of product owners, okay? And they are from business perspective, the experts on each uh, business business process domain. And what happened is like they don't have background on agile methodology. They don't have background on technical implementation. They just know how to do their work, okay? And what happens is, as you mentioned, that the product owner is the one who is in charge of communicating things between uh, project teams, development team, engineering, uh, architects, stakeholders, product managers, and so on. That is true. However, in practice, it's, 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 it's ideal, uh, but it's not what is happening in the real life. So what happens is one of the challenges we're, uh, we were facing is that uh, we explain the process of development. We require this in order to create uh, specifications. We need to set an expectation. We need to collect uh, UX designs in order to make the development team develop what is required and so on. And... And the product owner was, no, no, no. Why you need UX designs? Just just build the functionality and later on we can take care of the designs. And that is not how the project works. And at the end of the day, after realizing that the product owners are very experts on what they do in terms of processes, they hire an, a vendor to teach them how to do agile projects. Okay, so we were we are working with this client for about more than three years, and they they have just uh, hiring someone to teach them how to do agile projects, and and, and that's fine, right? Once you realize that you have a problem, that you have a gap in in your team, then you need to fix it as up, right? Right. 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 So uh, ideally, all everyone is involved in the agile methodology, agile thinking, the mind, mindset, and so on. But uh, this is not happening in the real life, right? So you need to adjust. So what happens if you don't have a business analyst uh, in place in that kind of projects? Then the project is a completely fla- failure, right? Because the product owner doesn't know how to implement how the implementation works, and they're more focuses focusing on other things that the technical team doesn't care. Okay, so that is how the structure I recommend fits into real life projects. If you are doing, for example, a project from the very beginning, it's a, a initiation and you as a product product manager, very experienced product manager, you know that you will require product owners who actually understand the methodology, who can... Um, help the technical team to understand what needs to be done and also know about the business processes and understand the, the business needs and strategy, then it's totally fine. That is a perfect case. However, it is not happening on every case. So from my perspective and what, what you have mentioned, coming up, taking up what you have mentioned, it is true that the product owner should handle a different set of activities that uh, might, might make you think that the business analyst is not required. However, not all the projects work the same. And you need to adjust and bring the more expert people to fulfill those gaps. And if it is a business analyst, let it be. 
You need to business analyze on your project. You cannot just say we don't need it because the methodology says we don't need it, right? So you need to adjust your structure in order to be more productive and more efficient. Thank you. That makes sense. And uh, thank you for bringing this as a real life example. That's uh, that's always that's always interesting to hear. Uh, so um, building up on that, uh, I was just wondering. So BAs and product owners are kind of in the mix of it, you know, in the middle of it all, uh, you know, fighting on the front lines or, or working on the front lines and um, making things happen. So where does the product manager in this uh, hierarchy or in this structure come in? Uh, what What is it that, that they do and how they interact with stakeholders, with uh, maybe development teams, or maybe they don't interact with development teams in your uh, in your uh, schema, how how do they? What do they do? What do they provide? What kind of value they add to this whole process? Uh, okay, so the product manager has two type of activities. Uh, I mean, daily activities. One is working with the project team, and second type of activity is working with uh, external stakeholders. Uh, talking about the, the the inbound activities with the project team, it's uh, setting a vision, of course, at the beginning, setting what is the purpose of the project, of the product, uh, being able to understand what are the market needs, the business needs, and be able to create a strategy. Okay, uh, create the product planning. That's why we have uh, the product roadmap as a excellent tool to visualize what is the plan, right? Is to... Um, to make sure that everyone understands what's the vision, strategy, and the plan, and the business goals, of course. Uh, also, uh, make sure that the implementation goes as expected and the end product is what uh, was required, right? Is what, what the people expected and provide some um, perspective on the release plan, right? On how, how the product is going to be launched. In, in the other hand, we have external activities, uh, which are uh, differentiate the competition, understand the market, make some uh, benchmarking and marketing research. Uh, of course, uh, of course, understand uh, what are, uh, for example, the analytics that uh, the product will require in order to extract data that provides more information in how how the business goes. Uh, and these analytics can be, for example, uh, rotation of customers, customers, um, cl- customers engagement. And by customers, and this is something that uh, uh, this was one feedback that I received from my last talk. It's like to differentiate between between customers from the business perspective and customers from uh, um, the market, right? Like end users, people who actually use your product. Um, so I'm talking about the people who use your product. So how to engage them? How to retain them? How to uh, you can log in, for example, if you are going to purchase something in uh, online shopping, for example, Amazon, and you make a, you create a login and you start navigating, but you don't purchase anything and you just log out and never go back to the to the uh, website again. Then it's called um, uh, 
client churn, right? It's people who is not willing to purchase something from your website. And those kind of KPIs, so that kind of information, the product manager needs to understand in order to create a proper strategy, right? Or change the strategy. If something is not going fine in the business, if the profitability profitability is not the one that the business expected, then something is wrong with the strategy. And in and, and those kind of things, it's what the product manager is able to understand rather than other role in the project, right? So the product owner, it's, a, uh, it's uh, execution. Uh, the business analyst is communication and, 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 and breaching the teams to the same understanding. But whatever happens out, uh, outside the product needs to be understanding, understand understand it by the product manager. So that is the difference. And, and, and here is where the product managers add value to the business and add value to the project team. It makes sense. and reminds me of a thing that I've heard. Um, it was it happened before I joined the company, but there were stories about that as one of my previous jobs where a team was developing a small business solution and uh, they understood, everybody understood small business differently. Uh, so the product manager didn't explain what small business means. Uh, so the uh, BA of that uh, product team took it upon themselves to figure out what the small business is. And uh, it was it was a point of sale solution. They decided that small business means they only have 20 products to sell, really not more. And it was really funny when they started selling, they tried to sell this or tried to demo this to a real small business and real small business operates, you know, with at least hundred different SKUs. If you think about it, if you, even if you're selling, I don't know, uh, 20 phone covers or, or 20 dresses, you still have different sizes, different colors, uh, different, different models of the dress. And so you, you will end up with more than a hundred SKUs and, uh, system wouldn't accept more than that. And it was, it was really, you know, an eye opener, but you know, uh, that's <laughs> kind, of, kind of a strategy. So kind of a strategy. I don't know if it's a strategy flop or execution flop, but, uh, you know, it was definitely a misalignment between the uh, product management and uh, and the agile team that was working on it. Uh, so it's interesting. Uh, so you've, you've mentioned, uh, again, uh, during, the, uh, during the conversation we had, you mentioned uh, that product managers also uh, provide thought leadership. And I think it's it aligns with defining vision and strategy of the product. Uh, if you can uh, elaborate more on that, that would be great. Uh, what do you what do you mean? What do you understand as a third leadership of uh, product managers? Uh, yeah, right, Vlad. So if if we understand that the product manager is someone who actually does not have direct reports. Right, it's kind of a role who is navigating across all teams and giving orders, and you need to do this and you need to do that. Then uh, we cannot call it a manager, right? Because it doesn't have a direct authority over people. So they provide information for executives about the resources, what uh, they need, uh, to the engineers, uh, what they need to do, designers, how the product should look like, uh, to customers, uh, how to use the product, and how you envision it. However, all these actions require a kind of leadership or tough leadership, right? To, in order to inspire others and have empathy with others, uh, to make them uh, follow you, 
And, and that is the big difference between a normal leader. I, I, have, I have explained this in previous conferences about the difference between a manager and, and the leader. And, and everybody understands that, right? Like the manager uh, give orders and um, makes the team uh, work the, the way it is expected. And, and in the other side, the, the leader puts on other shoes and uh, says, follow me and I will be the first in the front line and so on. But the difference between le a normal leader and a tough leader is that actually the tough leader has followers. And I'm not talking about influencers because influencers are different thing, right? The followers are people who doesn't have direct um, reporting structure on you, but uh, anyway, they follow you. They trust in you and you inspire them to do the things right. So uh, coming into that uh, concept, right? Uh, the product managers constantly communicate across uh, organizational functions, okay? And that is, that is one important thing if we talk about responsibilities of the product manager, which is uh, being a central, central hub of communication, right? So if technical team has a question, should go to the product manager. If executives or business team has, or business development, uh, especially if they have a concern or something like that, they should go to the product manager. So it's like uh, consolidating all the dots and being able to attack different or to tackle different perspective uh, about the product. Okay. And also lead, uh, the tough leaders create a strategy, right? That, uh, okay, so this is the game plan. And when and we say the game plan, we always uh, make a relation with the sports, right? So you can have a different different tough leaders on your sport team. However, there should be one who actually provides the direction. What is the strategy to uh, beat the other team, right? To beat the competition or to beat the market needs. So here is, here is where the tough leader comes into play in order to provide more insights, in order to be... Um, the main uh, the main person who people wants to follow, and that is not easy, right? So, product managers need to develop a lot of skill sets in order to become a tough leaders. You can have a product managers by the role, but uh, we need to understand that is not a role uh, or a position. It's actually action, right? How the product managers action to different challenges and how the people react to those challenges to follow the leader. So that's why I um, uh, I used to make trainings or, uh, or to teach other people in, in my organization in how to engage with others, how to be more kind and have empathy with others. Uh, in order to make them be a better leaders, not normal leaders, but tough leaders that can provide business value at the same time, they care about others. Okay, that that is interesting. And uh, hmm. uh, you made me think. Um, so when you were talking about uh, product managers not having direct reports and uh, spending across different organizational parts, it kind of reminded me of early days uh, when I was just learning to become a project manager in the matrix organization. It's the same. Uh, they use the same words to describe it. Like project manager doesn't have direct reports, but he has influence over uh, things uh, being done and all that. Uh, but uh, project manager definitely does not create a game plan. Uh, he 
would support it. He would make sure it gets done. He would make sure that communication happens, but definitely not uh, creating one. So I, I'm not gonna say <laughs> I'm not gonna say they're similar. They're not. It's just a certain overlap is definitely there, but uh, not not there. Uh, and I agree with you. Um, I, I this is kind of one of the things that I like about product management is that you don't have direct reports and you get to manage without the authority because um, it's a sheer power of um, the influence in, in a good way, sheer power of the influence of uh, your thought leadership and your product and your and the benefits that that product brings for the organization or for the customers or for the stakeholders that empowers you to uh, move move things forward and get them done. That that is really cool. Thank you so much. This is uh, this is really interesting. Um, this really interesting approach to product management. I've I haven't heard that in a while. So thank you for that. So as we as we approach, uh, we're getting slightly closer to the end of uh, of the episode. I'd like to ask, uh, start asking my cliche, my my uh, canned questions uh, that I usually ask in the episodes. Uh, how did this uh, new norm? Uh, new ways of working from home, you know, not being able to communicate with people face to face, and in, in in my experience, face to face communications was was huge, was paramount to getting things done as a product manager. Uh, so, how does this new norm or new uh, pandemic and post pandemic world is affecting your ways of working, your responsibilities, your ways of getting things done? I can give you uh, the, the real-life example for myself, and then I will uh, talk more about what I hear from people around me. Uh, first of all, in my experience, it is not as good as being in, in the office. I'm not saying that like I love the office and all the commute uh, times, but uh, but uh, when you are face to face to someone, you can see their expressions, you can see their faces, you can see their body language, right? If you say something to someone, you can immediately see if they agree or disagree with you. And then you can change the perspective of the talk or maybe change the words and something like that, right? So it is more... Um, you can use a different set of skills like charisma and engagement with people and uh, collaborate with uh, each other in a more uh, efficient way in terms of um, how you work with them, okay? In the other side, working remotely, uh, having 100% uh, communication and collaboration through uh uh, tools like uh, Microsoft Teams or Skype or or whatever tool like Zoom, uh, it, it is okay. However, when you are in front of a camera, you don't always use your expressions, right? And you can be all serious and or you can be all happy, uh, but that's not what uh, you mean to be, right? Is you are hiding your emotions. Uh, that way, you don't have a, a two-way communication. Like I say something, and I and I have a, a immediate response from you, right? So uh, that is one of the challenges I see we are facing right now. And and by what people saying about this is that the communication is being a powerful tool to get things done. However, you don't you don't get the feedback from the other person. 
And, and of course, the number of, of meetings and the number of calls is increasing dramatic, dramatically. Uh, sometimes uh, you don't have time to do your work because you have a bunch of, of meetings in the morning. And once you finalize them, it's lunchtime. You have to grab some sandwich or something like that and then go back to work to finalize what you're doing. Uh, that's different when you are in an office and you just have a five minutes talk and everybody understands what you're saying and let's back to work. Okay. Or you just turn your chair and say, Hey, I need you. I need this from you. Okay. You will, I will send you in one hour, two hours. And now you need to schedule a meeting and the meeting cannot be immediately because someone else is in another call and you need to schedule maybe by tomorrow or two days after tomorrow. And, and, and that is not a good approach because it's, it's getting things delayed, right? Because of people availability. Um, that's that's my experience. Uh, what I hear from others is that um, it's being more productive working from home because uh, you can mix your time and uh, create a work-life balance because you are with your family, you can have lunch together, you can help kids with the school uh, homework. At the same time, you are attending your conference calls and do your, your daily work. And uh, for example, if you normally finalize your work at 6 p.m. in the afternoon and you just close your laptop and go home and now you keep your laptop open and probably if you have some uh, free time you just go back to work and finalize whatever you were doing so you become uh, sometimes more productive in case you organize your time uh, well and one of the recommendations that we receive uh, in one of the trainings is to, if you need time to do your work, your personal work, uh, you need to block your your calendar like two or three hours and avoid having meetings in this in this time slot. And because people say, "Oh, do we need an urgent meeting." Yeah, we we I have uh, another urgent work to do, so please schedule in some uh, open slot I have on my calendar. So this is kind of a recommendation in order to be more efficient on time management and that is something that is a new skill that people need to understand and needs to learn which is the time management in order to be more productive and effective working from home interesting uh thank you for your your perspective i i do agree that um there's a lot of uh, there's, there's a lot more meetings uh because uh you can't really schedule a five-minute conversation that you may otherwise have with someone in the corridor or someone in the cafeteria, but now you have to schedule a 30 minute meeting, uh, pretty formal, invite a bunch of people that otherwise wouldn't need to be there. And things and timelines are extending, things are not are getting done, so you need more time to get them done. And uh, yeah, it, it, it gets a little out of hand <laughs> at, at some point. Uh, I, I agree with that. Um, on, on the positive side, um, it's e it's easier to balance uh, work life, uh, but not always. Uh, I see a lot of people working way more, way over time. I see people working over the weekends uh, because they didn't get enough uh, of work time during the week because they were in all these meetings that otherwise would not have happened. So I've seen, uh, I've seen um, a lot of trainings, I've seen a lot of articles, I've seen a lot of materials online uh, about how to maintain your work-life balance. Uh, guess what? Uh, they don't work because, <laughs> <laughs> because one, of the, one of the reasons why all this happens is because you're not working in the vacuum. And uh, 
most of these articles are written by um, people who have maybe a couple of years experience in the, in the workforce. They are pretty low on uh, the uh, in the hierarchy of the organization, and the higher you get, uh, more the more responsibilities you have, and more people you rely on to get things done because you delegate more things or you rely on input from other departments to get things done. And that's where all those meetings come in. And that's where all these, um, I, I don't want to call them delays, uh, but uh, these time extensions occur. So, okay, I need, you know, two people from two different or uh, two different parts of the organization to be on my meeting to make a decision, but they are stuck in other meetings. So instead of having a conversation that follows up by email that overall should take 15 minutes, now I have to schedule a 30-minute meeting a week from now because that's the only time on their schedules when they're both available. So that, that's the reality. <laughs> that's where we are right now. I totally agree with you. And that is something that, uh, again, uh, there are a lot of trainings and online courses, that, as you mentioned, but uh, it is done by people who actually they are trainers, right? They don't do daily yes. activities yes. as we do. So they provide the recommendations and that, that is totally fine. However, in the real life, we need to have a, um, a custom-made time management uh, because not everybody works the same. I, I see a lot of, for example, developers who say, no, I, I, I work perfectly in the overnight because that time I am alone. I, I have time to think. I don't have any meeting schedule. I can do my work uh, perfectly, right? However, there's people who say, no, I, I need time to sleep, right? I, I, I cannot do that in the overnight or in the weekends. And that is that is why I say, like, we need a custom-made time management. And, and not all recommendations work for everybody, but uh, actually we, um, we need to create our own time management. So we cannot do, like, a step-by-step uh, type of thing. Instead of that, we should accommodate our time scale. There are people who, for example, doesn't have kids, right? So they have the whole day for themselves in order to make their work and so on. There are people who has kids, in, which is in my case, and I, and I, and, and I need to split my time uh, with my kids, with my job, meetings, wife, and, and, and some other stuff. So um, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool to know uh, how people it's doing the things uh, around uh, and, and understand that there are different needs for different kind of people and situations, right? And uh, good, that's, that's a good talking point. That's probably, we can spend another hour talking about time management, but uh, we are yes, almost... Yeah. Let's, let's just say, I, I sense a market need for another solution for that. Uh, maybe AI-driven uh, time management tool that takes into account all your responsibilities, uh, family, social... Uh, work responsibilities altogether and aligns that with other people. Uh, so it's kind of like a crowdsourcing. I don't know if you've ever seen Waze. Uh, it's an app that uh, it's, it crowdsources um, traffic and uh, road conditions. So, you know, you, you, you as you drive, uh, the uh, app collects the information about you driving, you know, what speed you're going at, uh, which direction you're taking, uh, you can report road closures, you know, speed cameras, uh, police on the road or accidents on the road or even the road surface imperfections like there's a hole or there's a damage to the road. And based on all that data, um, the app redirects other drivers to a safer or better or more efficient route. So I feel like we need something similar 
that would guide us throughout our days uh, based on uh, crowdsourcing information, how people spend their time and um, how this whole thing looks. Yeah, and, and there's a funny experience with uh, some of my colleagues. Uh, I remember around six years ago, uh, we were working in a project with a very tough manager who was kind of a micromanager who likes uh, all the things on, on point, everything is scheduled, uh, no delays and so on. So he wants all the people to be at nine o'clock in the office. And there was one colleague who always uh, arrives at nine ten, and uh, there was a, con- a concern from uh, the management perspective. He said, "Oh, so you are running ten minutes out of time, so you are missing the daily stand up or whatever uh, meeting schedule they have." And he he made a very good point because he said, "Okay, so in order to arrive at nine, I leave to be my home at eight, so it is one hour commute time. But if I leave my home," 10 minutes before 9, I arrive at 9.10. So in terms of productivity, in terms of efficiency, it is better for me to leave the home uh, at um, 10 minutes before 9 because I spend only 20 minutes driving instead of spending one hour driving. So he made a very good point. And, and I think uh, management and of kind of uh, levels of uh, authority should understand that um, that is one of the people concerns more uh, in terms of going to the office, like uh, they can uh, schedule their time management in a better way or the way they think it's better for the to have a, a good work-life balance. So um, based on that experience, I, 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 I was kind of, uh, I, I had the same concern for, with people who always arrive late, but now I understand there are different situations that make people behave in a different way. Yeah, that's literally exactly 100% my story. Uh, at, at in at least two jobs, I I had uh, Express Bus. I was taking Express Bus uh, that runs on schedule on a very specific schedule, and uh, one bus would uh, take me probably about an hour and a change to get to, to to work, and I would arrive half an hour early and just space out, and nobody's paying nobody's paying me for that. Or I would arrive seven minutes later than the start time, and it takes me 40 minutes to get there. And, you know, I, I would start work, and the uh, manager insisted exactly the same same thing. The manager insisted that I would not be late by seven minutes. And I said, like, literally, that was, <laughs> what's, what's the rationale there? Um, and another one was the same thing when I was uh, driving about an hour and a half. Uh, it was hour and a half versus 55 minutes uh, difference. And same, same thing, um, the arrival. The, the arrival time was probably like 10, 10, 15 minute difference. So I hear you. All right. Um, we're moving on. And this is the last uh, question that actually last question for me. Uh, but this is your chance to ask me a question. And my question is, do you have any questions for me? Uh, as uh, we always ask on this um, on the show, are there any questions for the host or hosts if we have more than one? Uh, and this is your chance to kind of turn the tables and um, ask me a question or two. Again, a reminder, please, let's not boil the ocean here. Let's focus on things we discuss in uh, product management and uh, something that I can answer uh, within the realms of this of this episode. Okay. So it's now my time. Um, <laughs> my oh, mom- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first question I, I would ask you is because based on my experience doing assessments at EPAM and interviews to external people, 
I always ask uh, how people solve problems in communication and different understandings across stakeholders. Uh, let's put a very basic example. So you have a product manager who has a different vision and a strategy than the product owner. And we already talked about differentiation of the roles and responsibilities. But uh, according to, to, to different books, and I will provide an example, for example, the Babook says that the last call is from the product owner. Uh, and it is not always right because you have uh, stakeholders, executives above the product owner who says, I'm paying for the product. So my decision has to have uh, more power, right? Or more, or more weight than a product owner. So in your experience, what do you think should be the best approach to handle this kind of difference, perspective, or opinions across the stakeholders? Who has the last call? That's a great question. I, If I'm not mistaken, I just answered it a couple of days ago in, in a real-life situation. And my answer is always, uh, this has to be a product manager. Because even though we do say that product manager uh, represents business to, to the rest of the delivery uh, org, uh, the product manager is way more impartial than anybody else. Uh, because if you think about it, you have requests or, or feature requests or epic requests or, or capability requests coming from all over the place. You have requests from sales uh, because they, they feel that that's what market wants. They have requests, then the requests from uh, stakeholders come in uh, from uh, management, upper management, C-level executives wants to see, you know, dashboards really cool, but that's not what the market wants, but they want it and they're paying for it. So their voices must be heard. Uh, then um, the requests are another level of requests is from the technical team, from, from the implementation team, from the delivery team. They're saying, hey, we need to refactor this or we need to change the functionality here because it's not scalable or we may see issues, um, you know, uh, six months to a year down the road. And it's the job of the product manager to kind of juggle all these requests and uh, prioritize them with all the involved parties and understand what the impact is. Uh, are those reversible or irreversible decisions? Uh, let's say we prioritize the request from the market uh, first and we started implementing it, but we quickly realized that we should have listened to the technical team because we're, you know there are certain technical limitations and had we listened to the technical team and had we implemented their request first, uh, we would have been able to do, to do more things in a better way. Uh, so we can reverse the decision, reprioritize and do things. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if... There's, there's an example of irreversible decision. For example, we decided not to listen to the sales team and not implement the features that they were demanding. And guess what? 50% uh, of our um, audience, 50% of our users are now dropping our application or dropping our product and switching to a competitors because ours doesn't have a critical feature that is now absolutely a must-have in uh, in the market. A uh, good example in recent events is uh, encryption and security in Zoom. Once, you know, word got out that there there's a security concerns, uh, you, you have uh, bans from government organizations, a lot of educational institutions dropped Zoom for other solutions uh, get, because somebody didn't listen. Probably somebody in the product development didn't listen to sales folks or, or uh, market analysis that said, hey, this is really important. So, 
product manager is is the one who's tasked with this, and they're they're impartial impartial to all these uh, other organizations, and it's really down to them to make that decision. I guess that's that would be my answer. And and I I agree with you. And one of the reasons that I also mentioned during this this talk I have with you is that uh, sometimes product owners are more focus on uh, business processes rather than the uh, overall picture, right? Like the full landscape of what is going on in the market, what is going on in the trending of technologies, and they have a better word to say what needs to be changed or what is the strategy that we need to follow. So I, I totally agree with you. And uh, my last question, and um, again, based on real life cases, and um, this is not kind of a step-by-step uh, answer. I would like to hear another perspective from, from others is like, I have a friend who runs a retail store. So it's more kind of a fashion boutique uh, for, for women and uh, he has a very good product. So he's now, he had hired an architect to create the boutique looking very good, to hire people who actually is very charismatic, to engage people who is going to the store and have a very good dressing rooms and have perks like coffee and wine for people who is just uh, arriving and uh, have a very good purchasing experience in the store. However, Nowadays, he is struggling because people is not going to the store based on uh, the, the current situation on the COVID-19. So I uh, propose him to together help him to uh, create a Facebook uh, marketplace. Okay, and I ask him to hire a community manager because I am not a community manager and I cannot help with that. I, I am not a designer or marketing specialist, but he needs to hire someone and he needs to create a very good uh, photographs of their products and um, to create a very good branding and uh, marketing <clears throat> marketing uh, strategy in order to reach out to people who is purchasing online. He's not very technical guy, and he's uh, concerning about uh, the options he has because he will not build a full website, right? He, he can't use whatever tools he, there are in the market. So I see this as a strategy change, right? Change some priorities. So he has already an architect and a lot of people working on their on their physical store, but he needs to stop that and move out to more. Um, online experience for customers. So as a product manager, how would you uh, influence this guy and what are your recommendations to him in order to change his mindset to change the priority and move towards a better strategy for his business? I guess this is more of a psychology uh, question rather than um, specifically or purely product management. But it's 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 a way how you sell the idea to a person, and I guess I would go for a number of examples. Hey, look, all the museums are doing virtual tours. Hey, uh, Target is closing two hundred plus stores uh, all over the country uh, because uh, you know shoppers are not going to the store. Um, everybody, everybody's switching over to the mobile or uh, online experience. Uh, because of, of the situation. It's not the question whether you like it or not. And I think that's one of the main things that 
need to be communicated. It's not the question whether people like this or they don't like this, whether they agree with this or not. It's the way the market moves. And that's what they need to account for it. Uh, if they want to preserve uh, the uh, you know face to face the real life experience versus virtual, that's fine. They can they can keep it. They can do it. It's it. Nobody's taking that away. But the focus should be on the online experience because that's where everybody is. It's sort of like back in the day, eBay was taking over, and if you were not selling on eBay, you were not selling. It's same way like right now. Uh, Amazon is selling everything, and if you're not selling on Amazon, you're not selling. Uh, the Facebook Marketplace, maybe. I'm not that thrilled with it, and I know a lot of people uh, look at it. They kind of tap, you know, try try uh, try using it, but they don't, and they fall back on, on the regular uh, e-commerce or uh, retail shopping experience. Uh, but ultimately, it's kind of innovate or die situation. If you're not online, you don't exist. And and it's pretty simple message that, uh, you know, with enough uh, examples and enough uh, convincing uh, will, will be accepted by everyone. I have uh, some uh, really good real life examples where the person who was resisting uh, anything online, any kind of online interaction, they're just insisting on face-to-face -face interaction with their customers, once the pandemic hit, uh, switched almost overnight to a full online experience. They closed their office. They don't see clients in person anymore. And guess what? Their business is booming because no one really needed that in, in that line of work. Um, and, and they just happily working from, you know, wherever the remote office is. Uh, they're happily serving their customers from uh, whatever the luxury location they're in. And nothing really changed except they don't have to pay for expensive office. And I, I think um, these examples, and you can really put an ROI on that if you want. Like, hey, if, uh, you know, if you reduce the hours, then uh, you can save on a retail so you can expand your online presence. You can expand your online portfolio. You can expand your online presence. Damn, I mean, you can even do the virtual tour inside your store and create an interactive experience uh, there. So there are multiple ways of, of, of doing this. I think it's it's a solvable problem with enough convincing and enough communication. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And uh, what, I, what I told to my friend was use the architect to create renders of the store, create a, like you said, the, the museums are doing to create a virtual uh, tour and use use the the, the existing uh, personnel on the store to um, use, for example, coupons for discounts to their relatives or friends, and create a marketing campaign using them. And of course, uh, instead of firing them, just uh, create a more engagement with them and people uh, online. And um, of course, they will get commission and uh, for for the number of sales they do online, and 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 also they can create, for example, good photos of the products and uh, make like a virtual um, virtual experience for the customers who can actually see the sizes and the clothes that they are purchasing on. So uh, yeah, 
So I, I agree with you that it's more like a psychological to convince people that is one of the skill sets that the product manager should have when they are talking to executives and the technical team. So they used to have communication, empathy, and uh, putting on other shoes to understand what are their thoughts and uh, convince them, like to influence others on what is the right uh, path that needs to be followed. Yep, yep, I agree. It's, it's, all, it's all in there. It's all in communication. All right. Uh, thank you very much. These were really interesting questions. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, this has been a really great episode. So, uh, Alberto, thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Vlad, for inviting me and uh, for all your your audience. Uh, hope you enjoyed this this uh, podcast, this episode, and uh, looking forward for hear, uh, hearing from other people to share their insights, experiences. And uh, if you want to share my email, um, let, let me just uh, tell it to everyone. It's uh, Alberto. A-L-B-E-R-T-O underscore S-N S as in Sandra N as in number one are, uh, at hotmail.com So if you have questions or uh, insights that you need to, you want to share uh, feel free to reach me out and uh, it will be glad to, to answer it or to hear from you. Thank you very much Vlad uh, for this uh, uh, amazing experience on the podcast. It was my first time on a podcast so hope the people enjoy it. Yes, I, I hope they did. Uh, if you Yes, thank you for sharing your email. That's really great. Uh, you can connect with Alberto directly. Uh, or you can, uh, as always, c- connect through our website, vgrobman.com slash podcast, or ask Vlad at vgrobman.com. Uh, feel free to ask uh, any questions or connect directly with Alberto or uh, connect through us. Either way, it doesn't matter as long as we get your feedback in. And uh, thank you very much. Uh, this, this has been a great episode. Thank you, Alberto. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Listening to the real world product management, and I've been your host, Vlad Grubman. Until the next time.